This has been a live recording of the Effing Shakespeare podcast by Bloomsday Literary at the 2023 AWP Conference and Book Fair. We're thankful to be the official podcast for AWP for a third year and have invited a gallery of guests that you don't want to miss out on. As always, please subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you interviews of amazing writers sharing about their amazing work. Enjoy. Matt Bell is here today. We're going to talk about Appleseed. He wrote a book called Appleseed. You may have heard about it. My favorite description of it is a how-not-to manual Mm. for humanity's salvation. That's a good one. And yesterday, he had a book birthday. His craft book, Refused to Be Done, A Guide to Novel Writing, Rewriting, and Revision. Came out yesterday, yeah? Yeah, a year ago yesterday, yeah. A year ago yesterday? Yesterday, yeah. WTF, what am I doing with my life? It's, uh, It's been a year. Been a year? Um, where he he says that you don't write a novel one time, you write it two times, and then three times. So if you're out there just thinking you can write a novel once, Matt Bell is going to tell you you can't do that. Well, I think if other people can do it, they should, but I can't. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yes. In addition to that, he's the author of the novels Scrapper and In the House Upon the Dirt Between the Lake and the Woods, which I would like to turn into a song at some point, mm. as well as a short story collection, A Tree or a Person or a Wall. And I'm sure this has been mentioned to you, but it sounds like that unfortunate slip up from the president who shall not be named uh-huh. in the press uh-huh. conference. Um, one of many unfortunate press conferences. A nonfiction book about the classic video game Baldur's Gate 2 and... He's a native of Michigan, which I'll let slide. I'm from Ohio. Uh, no one's perfect. <sighs> no one's perfect. And he teaches creative writing at Arizona State University. Yeah. Awesome. That's a lot of stuff, man. It's a lot of stuff. You've been doing a lot of things. Yeah. And drinking gin. And drinking gin. And it's lucky. Yeah, yeah, it is lucky. I think drinking the gin helps. Yeah. I think so, too. It's medicinal. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah exactly. tonic especially. It's a tonic right? water. Yeah. Quinine, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 I don't, I'm not going to get scurvy. Yeah, you don't yeah, get scurvy yeah, writing exactly. novels. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> be the first novelist to die of scurvy yeah. at the desk. Yeah, while you're <laughs> typing away on the like, yeah, high seas. You know? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I should write more books on boats. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, think that will be helpful. <laughs> books on boats with gin. Yes. Gin tonics. Gin. Yes. I'd watch, I'd watch that podcast, too, actually. That seems like a great, great, great yeah, residency. All right. Let's start. Okay. <laughs> let me. Okay. Let's start with your craft book. Mm. What? Tell me what it means to be a radical reviser. Uh, and uh, then tell me how you found your way to Soho. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think for me, uh, revision was always one of those things we were like, asked to do in class, you know, sort of like you'd workshop something, you turn in, you do a revision. But I, I realized, especially once I started writing novels, that I had not been maybe like taught to revise, like what, what practically you did. Um, and so some of, you know, the things that led to Refuse to be Done was just like trying to learn like practically what I could do to, to take the really rough stuff of a first draft to make it into a book people could read. Um, when my first novel in the house, uh, when I finished drafting it, um, you know, I finished writing the book and then like went in the backyard with a bottle of whiskey, not gin. And like <laughs> my wife came home and I was like drunk in the backyard, like sad. And she's like, um, uh, what happened? Are you OK? And I'm like, I finished my novel. You know, just like <laughs> but I just knew it was so bad. Right. I was sort of like um, that had something had to be done. So some of it was just realizing what that could be. Um, and I, I do think it's actually really freeing to know that you're going to revise heavily, that you're going to change a lot of things, that you don't have to get everything right the first try. Uh, it's maybe impossible, at least for someone like me, to get everything right the first try. So I, I think that's really um, comforting. 
Uh, for Soho, Refuse to be done is the fourth book I've done with Soho, so uh, I feel really lucky to work with them. My editor, Mark Dote, and I have worked together a long time. Um, I think uh, we started working together in 2012, so we've been working together for 10 years, which feels oh, really nice. lucky. Um, but I, you know, when that book was, I was sending it out to agents, and agents were nice but not biting, and I thought maybe I'll send this to some presses on my own. Uh, and Soho was one of the places that took uh, submissions, and I knew Mark's work. Um, and, uh, and I did eventually get an agent, and five days after I got an agent, Soho offered on the book based on my submission. So I called my agent and was like, hey, I think I sold that book I sent you. Do you want to negotiate it? Um, and we have worked with that agent for 10 years, right? Kirby Kim, who's great. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, just kind of a funny, I got really lucky there too, right? Because if I hadn't got that agent right before that, yeah. I wouldn't have one, right? You know? So did you say to Kirby, this means you pay me, right? Yeah, absolutely, okay. yeah, yeah. And Kirby was like, Whenever sure, he makes no money, thing. he gives me 15%, it's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. That's amazing. Um, tell me, so a lot of what we do on the podcast is talk about the publishing journey, and I would love to hear more about that editorial relationship with Mark. Yeah. How did you know, number one, like, oh, this is going to be good. I like this guy. And number two, how did you manage to stick with him? Because we've heard so many stories where they find their agent, or they find, sorry, they find uh, their editor, and then they switch to another press, or blah, blah, blah. Or, you, like, it seems like 10 years is long time in general for any relationship but a super ass long time for an editorial I think that's true and honestly the rest of Soho is pretty stable too like the same marketing people have been there the whole time the same publisher and associate publisher um, so you, you know I feel like I've had a really close long term relationship with everybody there which makes it really easy um, you know I think Mark's a, a really fantastic novelist himself he's published two novels of Grey Wolf that are they're really great um, I actually had published a short story of his at a magazine I was editing so I knew sort of his oh, aesthetic as well mm -hmm. um, so it wasn't like completely sort of fresh in that way um, and I just really got what I was doing and he was willing to so that book's the first book we did is like really a deeply weird book and I think we let it be weird and we kept it weird and like I yeah. think another person I mean I don't know how you'd make that book into something more marketable but also like it was good that we weren't trying <laughs> wasn't trying yeah yeah, yeah yeah it was just like make the book more itself and I think that's been true of all of them. Also, Soho as a place has given me, I think, a lot of room to run. They, you know, they bought the second novel we did when I was still writing it, based on like a like a conversational description of it. Like, I mean, I really I didn't show them any pages. Like, they put a lot of like trust in me. Dang. Uh, and yeah. they don't do craft books. Refuse to be done is like the only thing like it on their. I think they partly did it to do the book with me. And so, yeah, it's really great to have a place that you can have that kind of long relationship with that's I mean really the goal right is to have these like lifelong if you're an agent and your editor and and man maybe even your publicist or something are with you over 10 years like no one has that and that you you save so much time you don't yeah. have to relearn each other you know it's it's exciting what would we call it like there's the EGOT and yeah, then yeah. that's like what come on give me some acronyms what would that be yeah so publicist publisher editor and what was the other one agent Pu agent Peep, peep. Uh, <laughs> Got <we're>, that peep. <laughs> we're here with Sam Bell, the only AWP peep lifetime achievement award winner. I don't know if this is going to stick. I'm going to work it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, yeah, you, you know yeah, that no. I'll drill you down it. on this yeah, and yeah, make yeah. it happen you long term. Totally. I was trying like, to figure out like if you had like publisher, editor, translator, what's an ass? We get pest. We could uh, put a different thing together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, What's there is another one. You get an EGOT with an N. Oh. It's like the... E Egont and the N is like a fucking Nobel or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's zero people so like on the if planet. So, Ishiguro writes a, a Broadway musical or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. or like uh, Lin Manuel Miranda starts writing 
what, what do you have to write next? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to fix this in post. Yeah, Sam. yeah, yeah. It's gonna I be mean, good. Matt. Sam. I'll, I'll work yeah. on the, Sam. the Boolean graph. Okay. Yeah. Good. We'll make, a, we'll make some to make it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll work. Uh, <laughs> a Venn diagram and nothing touches. We'll, we'll do it, you know? I love it. Okay. We, I want to talk to you about your teaching. Yeah. Um, I've got three questions in a row. I love doing this. Great. Um, keeps my guests on, on, on their toes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I want to know the best piece of advice, the piece of advice you love to give to your students. Mm. The one that you find is the most useless, that's like a conventional piece of sure. advice that people say, and then the like, ah shucks, but also very true. What do you learn from yeah, your students? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's lots of things I'm always, always saying to students, but, but one of them is definitely, comes to mind right away as I talk about like, the reader does not want your logic. Like, there, I think, uh, I teach novel writing a lot, right? And there's all this like explanation that's in most novel drafts, which is like a character does something, then the writer explains on the page, or too I don't much, know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I would yeah. never do anything right. like that. Too much info dumpy kind of stuff. But like, I think that's like the scaffolding of the book, right? And it's really like them reading the book to themselves as they're writing it. The character acts and they explain the character action. But like all that has to come out. And when it comes out, it makes the space for the reader to act. And like, you know, when a writer hasn't given you a room to react to things, you're, oh, what God, are you even yeah. doing, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so I'm always like trying to like show them where that's happening. But it's a totally, it's fine. It's part of drafting. My drafts are full of that too. I don't remember what the second one was. The useless piece that of advice that's I give them. the second one. You're I good. Think, you're doing no, great. I think a, a thing that I, I probably harp on a lot and that I feel like I've learned a lot myself is is really like kind of the traditional structures of, of narrative or like, you know, like there are, if you don't know how your novel should be structured, like let's try a 3X structure, let's try a 3X pyramid, like there's some of these things. Um, but of course, I, a lot of the books I like are like wild and do totally yeah. different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the absence of a plan, let's try one of these plans, but also like, man, do something else, right? So it's, it's sort yeah. of a weird, uh, if you don't know what to do, try this conventional thing, but maybe there's something more interesting. Um, part of that I think I've gotten really obsessed with is, uh, Students are always trying to make things proportional and symmetrical. Like if you have three narrative, three uh, point of view characters, then they'll be like everybody gets a hundred pages. But like you don't have to do that, right? Like it can yeah. be a different shape. Yeah, yeah. And so that's like the pushback against the sort of like how you deviate from the plan sort of matters. And then you know I'm, I'm learning things from them all the time. But I've been teaching these novel writing courses for like ten years, and and the pitch to them is that they're generative. Everybody starts at zero when you write novels together, as opposed to like workshopping existing novels. So then you see the problems at the stages, right? Like everybody hits this problem at 10,000, everybody hits this problem at 30,000. Uh, but then I, of course, have gotten to watch that too. Like getting every 18 months to have 10 like really smart young novelists in a room yeah. writing novels together. Like I see some of those drafting things in my work in a way that I could not in the past. Things right. that are like, it's okay that it's like this now because it's going to work out. And also like you can avoid some stuff that everybody does because I've just watched, you know, 10 years of students do it. That's kind of a jerk thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's, it's tricky, right? I smuggle them some government money and healthcare, like, oh, and they no. and they teach me how novels work. It's fine. It's a good Whatever trade. Whatever makes you sleep at night, <laughs> Matt. I'm I almost mean, nothing, yeah. <laughs> that and Jim. Yes, yes. That's, that's, those are the two things. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I, in diving into some of your work in preparation for the show, I happened upon your Dennis Johnson essay yeah, yeah. which I found very moving and this is like the fangirl portion of the show so I'm going to try to keep it all together but I was really moved in that because you were saying that your relationship with Dennis Johnson's work was that you could show up 
like all of the good stuff and all the shitty stuff could show up and be okay on the page. And I'm wondering, and I, and I feel that way about your Substack. Mm. That mm-hmm. I mean, every letter is like this is the honest truth for me as a writer and whatever you can take, whatever you're coming to the table with and you can take away from it, it feels like that's what you're doing. Where did that come from, that level of generosity? Ooh. I mean, I, you know, I'm thinking about Johnson specifically, you know, some of the, the stuff in the last story in Jesus' Son at Beverly yeah. Home, like part of it is like, uh, he's working this home for people who have like, like disabilities or diseases and stuff and he talks about everybody just being like openly a mess. We're all there together, openly a mess. And I think like, man, it's messy being a writer. It's messy being a person. And like, ideally, um, we want to be able to be those things. You want to be able to be yourself. And and the parts of you that are are laudable and the parts of you that aren't are often like really connected, right? And so I I don't think it does us a lot of good to sort of pretend that we're always put together or that everything is sort of easy for us. I think showing the, the parts of your like writing process that are difficult or don't work or the things you're not good at is probably more useful for students than, you know, what I think of is like a traditional kind of like mastery model where like the teacher is just like a person who has it all figured out and you just ambiently learn by being around their genius, (laughs) which was like definitely a mode of pedagogy I was taught in, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. And it, um, I mean, you can get, it's nice to be around geniuses, but uh, I also feel like it's easier to like, this is how I work through these problems. Here's a way you can work through these problems, you know? Um, and I, I think writing the Substack has been uh, a really great way of concretizing some of my own thinking about things. Like yeah. um, one I wrote, maybe the last one I wrote, I think was something I'd been thinking about for 10 years and talking about, but I'd never written down, you know? And um, there was stuff in that, like I was, uh, so th- I was thinking of a different one, but the last one I wrote was about action, right? Uh, and I was thinking in there about how... That's the gin? The that's gin the one. That's how it gets the, the gin. gin. Yeah, that's yeah, what I'm talking about. Yeah, the gin tweet. Um, was talking about uh, like maybe when you're writing or reading it's easier to picture like body motion than just picture faces and that's not I was like is that just my brain is it just like you know what I mean <laughs> like when you describe facial expressions what do you see but when you describe a person's body in the world maybe you can see them like leaping or gambling or clambering or whatever they're doing and and I had a bunch of people write me and be like yes that's exactly what it is so you don't see pictures you. when you read and I was like weird like I've had that thought for like 10 years but not expressed yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. and so you don't get to bounce the idea off anybody if you don't share it and same with some of the things that you're not good at. Like by talking about it, people give you solutions to them. Yeah. And like, which is like often oh, it's solvable. Oh, that's a dirty little secret. Yeah. yeah. You confess so people will help you, you know? Oh, shit. Yeah. It's really good. It's not just <laughs> navel gazing? Yeah. It's <laughs> a little navel gazing. Writing time. in community, sounds yeah. like. Oh, yeah. 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 Interdependence. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. We are, yeah. we are solving Crazy. all kinds Crazy of problems today. Yeah. Yeah. I feel we're like good. we did a good job getting out of bed. Yeah was worth it yes (laughs) okay let's move on we've solved all those problems uh can we solve climate change no but (laughs) we were close so close we were almost there okay yeah let's talk about appleseed and the role of a cli-fi fiction writer you wrote this enormous multi-plot-lined narrative um, about a world that has suffered immense decline calamity Much like the real world we live in that is, you know, yeah. in its demise. Yeah. Not to put it too... Maybe. Yeah. Where do we put that fiction in, you know, this fiction that you're working on in the real world? What's the role of you as an artist yeah. in the midst of this? 
Yeah, man, I, you know, you're always trying to figure it out. I mean, I think one part of it that's just for me, maybe, or starts for me, is that I really think of novel writing as like a mode of thought, a mode of inquiry. Like writing a book for five years is a way to think about something for five years, that while I'm fixing commas or moving characters around, I'm also like thinking about like the issues of the book, right? So I like, you, you know, it's the Donna Haraway phrase, like to staying with the trouble, right? Like staying yeah. with that, like writing a novel is one way to stay with, with the kind of trouble. So that's, that's useful on its own. Um, I do think it's also like a facing into a thing instead of facing away from it. Like I came out of the research for that book feeling not maybe more hopeful exactly, but like less anxious. Like I at least understood the problem and I understood uh, like, I mean, the solutions are kind of known. It's just like whether we're going to do it or not. And that made me feel calmer, right? It's a political problem, maybe not a science problem. Like the science, we have stuff we could be doing um, and we are doing. Um, and then I That's I an think, interesting turn. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I think there's also... Like the characters in each part of the book are are trying to make the world better in the way they understand the world they live in. Um, and I think that's, that's a hopeful gesture, right? To do what you can to improve the world as you encounter it. Um, it seems to be part of that. Uh, and then of course, generosity. Yeah, it's more yeah. generosity. Yeah. And the yeah. book can be smarter than the characters, right? Protagonists have tunnel vision. They can only see what they're interested in. But with that long timeline, the book can have like a wider lens on, you know, that, that answer of like, what should we do? Um, so I think that's that's part of it. Um, and I think the other thing for my particular book is uh, I had this note on my desk the whole time I was writing that said, go big with wonder. And I wanted the reader to feel like the wonder toward the natural world in every stage of the book. So even in the kind of degraded 50 years in the future or the far future sort of like glaciated America where there's not a whole lot alive, like to make those places like beautiful and sources of wonder. Because I do think it's our, our sort of wonder for the world that will make us want to save it. Like if the mm -hmm. world is like, a thing you don't like or aren't interested in, why would you save it? But yeah. um, the everyday sort of wonder that the world offers is, is, I think, the closest, for me, like emotional link every day to like why we should care for the places that we have. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. the same premise for National Geographic yeah, absolutely. or a zoo, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Make it, kids interested in the shit that's going yeah. on in the world. Yeah, those charismatic yeah, animals at the zoo are yeah. one of the entries into like loving the world yeah. before you can go to and no most of us aren't going to go to the arctic circle but we can imagine a polar bear there or something right yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah or go see the penguins yeah 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 okay i'm feeling good i'm feeling hopeful okay yeah. <laughs> it's like great that makes two people at this table i mean it is a i, I will say i think i have uh discovered writing this book and, and what i'm working on now that like I have like a utopian heart. Like I want the world, I believe mm -hmm. the world can be a good place. I believe we can make it better. I believe the world is a good place and we can care for it. Um, and then I have like a dystopian plot brain, right? Where it's like, let's make some shit go wrong. Cause that's, you know, writing books. Um, and I think I'm trying to maybe try to mirror those things. Can I write a book that is, um, is more like, what would it look like if we were living positively? What would we look like if we did that? Um, there's a, a great book coming out this year that I blurred by a guy, uh, Nick Fuller Guggins called The Great, uh, the Great Transition that depicts like a transition to a post-fossil fuels economy. That's really plotty and fun, but it also like shows you how it could be done. Oh my God. And it's like, it just, I feel like it's like the really important climate book that I know is coming. And like, I feel like that's the work, like I'm really glad that's happening in climate yeah. fiction. Yeah. yeah. That's a better ethos than my book has. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right on. We, we had, we started the day, as I said, with Vivi Sugi Ganeshananthan. Yeah. And she asked us a, important question that we that I told her we would pass on to yeah. Yeah. other smarter people mm -hmm. than us yeah. and so we're going to ask you she needs to know how to start the next thing because I did that thing like what's next for you and she was like 
I don't know. I'm going to sleep. I know I'm yeah. going to sleep, but I don't know how to start the next thing. Yeah. Because she just got off like a publishing a 10 to 15, a book that took yeah. her 15, almost 20 years to write. Yeah, yeah, like her whole adult life, right? Yeah. Yeah. going to start resting this year. So, yeah. You can give her a couple <laughs> days to sleep. And, yeah. You know? I think what we need is for you to solve her problem as well. Yes. Right. Yeah. That's so, the theme for today. What, yeah. what do you do to start? Climate change and then sleep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think maybe there's a couple of things, right? One is that every book has its own like unfinished business. There's a thing like that book couldn't do or you couldn't, you couldn't finish in that. I knew my, my first novel is like a really closed sort of world. The people, it's just like just this family, really. And as I was finishing it, which I think I was finishing during like the 2012 presidential election, oh I was, which feels like a lifetime ago, um, a different world. Did he, people even have phones back right, then? Right, right. Like. <laughs> but I could feel like the book didn't have room for some of the things I cared about like politically or culturally. Like it was too tight. And so, you know, the next book was said in Detroit it was really contemporary and, and I think really about like violence in America and, and sort of trauma and things that that book couldn't do but it was also like a really it was a really angry book it was angry to write it was angry to read I think that book is, is almost unfriendly in some ways and I thought like I don't want to I don't want my books to feel like this I don't want to feel you know like Appleseed's about serious things but I don't think it is like a grind to read no, you know and I think maybe my second book not. is yeah. a little bit uh, yeah and so, you know, and I, I, some of what I'm writing about in this book, the new one I'm writing is like, I'm still writing about like climate refugees and things like that that are part of Appleseed, but are not like the focus of it. And you can just feel, and this like, I want to write books that are maybe more like, like attempting to be utopian, to, to do utopian thought as opposed to dystopian thought. And so one of the ways is like, what's the thing that book couldn't do tells you some of the marching orders for the next book. I will say it makes me feel less anxious publishing if I'm already down the road on another thing. So like I started the novel I'm writing couple years ago when Appleseed was on submission you know like I like it'd been out for like two weeks and I woke up and I was like I better start writing a book you know <laughs> yeah, so I, I yeah. you know I, I think some of it is that uh, I do have a lot of things fail between books though so I just I would rather be writing than not writing so like things fall apart it's okay but um, I'm more myself on a day I wrote than when I didn't so yeah I'm always yeah. making something and I just accept that not all of it will turn out does your agent, does Kirby ever look at you and be like, Mm-mm, no, man. Or, I, you, no, you don't tell your agent. I don't tell him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get You're down the like, road first. Yeah. Yeah, I do not. Uh, uh, every once in a while, he's like, you could write a book about this. It'd be really good. And I'm like, I could, but I'm already writing this crazy secret book. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like Appleseed, if I called him and be like, I think I'm going to write a book. And it's a retelling of the Johnny Appleseed folktale. But he's a fawn from Greek mythology. He'd be like, don't. Don't do that. Like, that's a bad idea. Because um, it is a bad idea. And all my books are kind of bad ideas. And so I think that the proof is the book. So usually after about a year of working on a book, I'll write up a little synopsis and I send it to Kirby just so like, this is what I'm doing. And he always writes back, we'll make it work. Oh <laughs> Which is not exactly like a vote of confidence. No. But, um, so what what other Kirby option does he have? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's but, we, but we have always made it work. So uh, like, he, I feel Kirby's like... Kirby's the Tim Gunn yeah, of, it's good. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. of agents agents to have so you, if you're looking for Tim Gunn energy go go hit up Kirby Kim I was just talking to people at lunch about like uh, you don't really know what your agent says to editors about you right you know but you can hear it back when you talk to the editors a little bit and when we were <laughs> selling Appleseed uh you know, uh, all the editors had their own ideas of what could be done or what could be changed, or you know. And he must have told them this because every editor said, "Like, oh, Kirby mentioned that you're a problem solver." <laughs> and, like, and I was like, "What does that mean?" <laughs> like, like they're like, "Oh, I think the book is like screwed in this way." And he's like, "Well, Matt's a problem solver. He'll be glad to figure that out." But I was like, "It's just interesting, like, what his pitch is for what I'll be like to work with." Matt Bell, problem solver. We'll be willing to fix the third act of this novel if you need it to be. That's awesome. Um, they yeah, have that's, like special all little yeah. like cards. They uh-huh. slip. They like profile author profile. 
This one needs kid gloves. Uh-huh. Matt Bell will solve your problem. Yeah. I want that on your business card. Absolutely. I want problem it to be solver. like problem solver slash peep award winner. Yeah, it'd be good. I think that'd be nice. I mean, There's that 30 Rock here. episode where, where Tracy and Jenna are like the problem solvers that go around and try to oh, fix yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I feel like I just need one of their t-shirts. Okay, yeah, we'll good. work on work that. We'll work on it. Yeah. That in a gym next year. Dude, I feel really bad about that gin. We went, Absolutely. we we tried a couple places on the way back yeah. from lunch to find yeah. the gin. Yeah, we, we were. We yeah, went to someone. There was a nice man at the uh, Masala restaurant who said, "Check out 7-Eleven. And we were both like, 7-Eleven sells alcohol, but we're from yeah. Houston. What do we know about yeah, Seattle? Yeah. Maybe they sell, maybe they sell hard yeah, hard yeah. liquor at 7-Elevens. They did not. Those bastards. We could have gotten got you those like canned gin cocktails or something. something we, terrible. Yeah, we could have yeah. gotten you like. Or <laughs> yeah. I think they had those like are even, the worst. Yeah, they're really bad. Yeah, yeah. 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 Rosé yeah. in a can. Yeah. Would, how would you have felt about that? I could do a rosé. I'm flexible. <laughs> but I'm not. But I mean, my my quality is that I'm thirsty. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like the the solution yeah. to it is like wet things. You know. Look! Look at this <laughs> problem solving happening right here. <laughs> right. I'm before. thirsty. I need a wet thing. Yeah. Like easy. That'd be my liquor store. Just called wet things. <laughs> that's not gonna work. No, I felt myself get canceled easy. right there. Take that out of the take that out of the podcast. Too late. Too late. It's on the live stream, right? It's already out. We've done it. We got boosted to the top and canceled at the same time. Matt Bell will rework that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll work. Yeah, exactly. Revision again. Yes. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Revision. You should have known this guy. He's gonna need to do it three times. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We'll come back tomorrow. I'll say okay. Saturday it'll be great. Should really just do it every day until that'd be three drafts. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Okay. So Done. what what is the tastiest thing you have overheard during AWP? Oh. Hashtag overheard at overheard AWP. It, yeah. Well, I would say on the as soon as I got on the boarding line for my flight here, the, there's a young good. guy in front of me talking to a, a young woman, and uh, and all I heard of his conversation was like, uh, "Have you read my novel?" And I was like, "Oh, oh no, you met a person like in the line to get on the plane to AWP, and then like sat next to him for like three hours." Oh. When they have not read your book, they haven't heard of your book. No one's read anybody's book. Um, But I was like, you're a bad actor. Like, you can't be asking people those kind of questions. Did you step in with your Superman? Absolutely. And be like, no, Um, not today. Absolutely. Get behind me, Satan. No, I'm just, I took a picture of him. I Google reverse image searched it. Then I gave him a one-star review on Goodreads. So it was fine. (laughs) Excellent. Amazing. Doing the good work. (laughs) Doing the good work. Do whatever I can to like, yeah, absolutely. Just slowly crush another writer's spirit, you know. (laughs) We're going to give him a badge. Your business card is overflowing. I, wow. I really have a lot of uh, duties, you know. It's good. You do. Yeah. And you're writing. Yeah, I'm trying. Right. Well, keep Perfect. doing the good fucking work that you're yeah. doing out there. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on the oh, show. Oh, you guys are so much fun. This is great. Thank you, Matt. Thank Bell. you for doing it. Thank you for having have me. Have a happy AWP. Yeah, thank you. Effing Shakespeare is a production of Bloomsday Literary, hosted by Kate Martin Williams, Jessica Cole, and produced by me, Fu Lu. Our trusty and hardworking intern is Elena Welsh. With special thanks to Juanita Lester and the AWP staff, without whom this would not be possible.